Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news roundup that rounds up those dogies and uh, sends them in the general direction of truth. That's what we try to do anyway. I'm Kevin Barrett with Kat McGuire, live from New York. Hey, Kat, how's it going? Hi, Kevin. Yeah, going really well. Thank you. All right. Yeah, we have a lot of interesting stuff lined up. Like, uh, it seems like every third or fourth week, World War III might be starting. And maybe it's even more than that now. Anyway, so that's our big theme this week is the uh, flashpoints for war. So let's get into that. Uh, see if my uh, computer works properly. It looks close enough. Okay, there we go. Here we are in our flashpoints for war. Ah, there we go. Our initial image, the, uh, the big flashpoint was the Red Sea until maybe 12 hours ago when suddenly Biden bombed half of the Middle East. And we will be talking about that. Uh, and um, next summer, remember to always go to swimming pools with Houthis uh, manning the lifeguard towers. They're very good at kind of keeping an eye on the pool. Public service announcements. You can help the show continue by going to uh, truthjihad.com. Uh, takes you to Iceland. You click on False Flag Weekly News. You get to the image for this week. And number zero is our fundraiser. And our fundraisers are doing okay, like, Next week's that I just launched like yesterday or something is already where we want it to be, but the last two haven't quite gotten there. So please do go to uh, truthshehad.com and take go to False Flag Weekly News, number zero, uh, click on that link, and you can help us continue to do this work. All right, uh, Catch-22, I mean, Tower-22. Um, <laughs> yeah, whatever 22 it was. All these multiples of 11 make me wonder if the Illuminati has a hand in any of this. Anyway, Tower-22 was the flashpoint for World War III. Well, we hope not anyway, but it looks kind of hairy right now because after three U.S. service members died in one of the ongoing of, I think, over 100 um, axis of resistance attacks on occupation forces throughout the region, especially in occupied Syria and occupied Iraq. Uh, we just got this big old retaliation thing that you know Biden is trying to show that he's not quite uh, senile and helpless. Uh, 85 targets, and I think last I heard something like 40 plus people killed, including a fairly significant number of civilians. So if uh, they, they always have to kill a lot more people to prove that they're tough, I guess. Uh, uh, Kat, is this the beginning of World War III? Well, it's uh, looking more and more aggressive from our end. I mean, why are we even still in Iraq and Syria? It's against international it's, it's the, law. It's, it's the oil. We need the oil. That's what Trump said. Yeah, that's exactly it. Victoria Nuland tries to say that we're there fighting ISIS, which is an outright lie. It's, no, we, we just bombed all these groups that are fighting ISIS. Every single group that the U.S. just bombed is a big time anti-ISIS group that helped defeat ISIS. So but this makes no sense. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I saw something that um, Iran's forces um, are not even in the Syria area where they bombed. So um, and and what are we uh, even doing with Iraq? Iraq has repeatedly asked us to leave. And so it's just really disgusting that based on assumptions, there's been zero proof applied that um, the, um, Iran supplied weapons or ordered attacks. Anybody can purchase Iranian weapons at this point. Iran is saying it's not responsible for the um, attacks uh, that were supposedly on Jordan. 
um, and um, a retired general in our U.S. intel agencies also have come right out and said that they agree that Iran does not want a war. Um, but some experts like Scott Ritter are even saying the drone actually hit um, the, the drone strike that killed the three uh, soldiers was um, actually in Syria, not in Jordan, which makes for an illegal base there to begin with. So it's all just... Uh, it's all just crazy uh, war mongering from Israel to us and on down. And the thing is that even all of the establishment sources admit that Iran does not control all of these groups. They're allies, but Iran is not giving them orders. Uh, it's widely accepted among the whole Western establishment that the um, the Al-Aqsa storm operation on October 7th by Hamas, which does get some funding from Iran, but a lot more funding from Qatar with the approval of Israel, uh, as well as funding from all sorts of other people. I mean, half the world loves Hamas. Uh, so there, Iran didn't even know that that was coming. And there's been reports that even Western media and intelligence and establishment sources all say that Iran was actually a little bit annoyed uh, to have Hamas just go off and do this <laughs> without the slightest consultation of any of its resistance allies. But that's how all these groups work. They are independent. They're not controlled by Iran. So this isn't a big thing to be going after Iran for. Why are we going after Iran? Well, Kat, is pretty obvious, isn't it, that Israel views Iran as its number one strategic threat. So it has hijacked the U.S. to go after its, own, its enemy, which is should not be America's enemy. Right. Plus, um, Israel just needs all the help it can get, not just from Iran, but uh, Hezbollah, which is kicking its butt, as well as Hamas, which they have not managed to take Gaza. I would not doubt that Israel did that drone strike that killed three of our servicemen, uh, wanting that false flag to get us more involved. And it's not past them to attack the U.S. Remember the USS Liberty. Right. Yeah. It, it, Israel could have conceivably uh, played with the electronics to allow that uh, drone to kill people. That's not beyond the realm of possibility. Uh, so um, the Iraqi government is unhappy. They've The parliament in Iraq ordered the U.S. to withdraw from Iraq many years ago. And the U.S. has been flagrantly disobeying that order and thereby committing the supreme war crime of aggression by continuing to occupy Iraq against the orders of its government and the wishes of its people ever since. Uh, so the Iraqi government is unhappy and there's going to be there are going to be more attacks on U.S. bases. Um, and here's the first ones just happened shortly after this uh, U.S. strike. So nobody's going to back down here. And the question is how far it escalates. Uh, but this is a political problem for Biden. He had to do something like this because the Republicans, who are even more Likudnik extremist, pro-Netanyahu Zionist than Biden is, are uh, barking at him and, and growling and, and trying to pretend that they're the tough guys and that none of this would ever happen if Trump was in office and the Republicans were in office. Uh, so that means Biden has to go and, and do this kind of stuff so he doesn't get bitten uh, from on his right flank. So, Pat, I mean, what... Do we really have two parties anymore? Is it, what happened to the peace party? Well, it's not even what parties we have. We are zogged. Um, Zionist occupied government controls us, and they have us engaged in two wars for basically for Jews right now in the Ukraine, which the neocon idiots at the state have already pretty much lost. And now they want us to throw good money after bad and support uh, their brethren over in Israel.
Um, unfortunately, they have more than enough money to rope in the military industrial complex vultures and the politician pigs at the trough. But um, to go all in for Israel is really dumb because the world power, the center of world power is shifting eastward and it's not in favor of the Zogged West. So we're just going along like some kind of uh, the the West is full of these Stepford countries that are just going along at uh, Israel's demand, and we're going to be screwed. Humanity at large has a chance because of this shift eastward with bricks and stuff. But um, and we will be talking about that. We have a, a brick section coming up. So uh, let's get back to the slideshow and move to the next rubric, which is uh, Yemen and Lebanon are now enforcing the, it should be the ICJ, not the ICC, should be both really, but it's just the ICJ at this point, uh, genocide order. And here's the law enforcement over in Yemen, where Yemen continues to strike American commercial vessels heading for occupied Palestine. Brigadier General Yahya Sari announced the American commercial ship KOI had been targeted. So the American fleet over there in the Red Sea doesn't really seem to be stopping the uh, Yemeni government, sometimes referred to as the Houthis, from continuing to raise the costs of this Western uh, propping up of the genocidal Zionist regime occupying Palestine. Well, it's amazing now with drones and cheap missiles, even the smallest country can inflict damage on the big players. They don't need pilots or uh, special military ships. Any bulk transport will do. And the U.S. is saddled with big, outdated equipment using uh, something like $2 million missiles to shoot down $2,000 drones. What it reminds me of is the French and Indian War back in the mid-1700s. The French fought European style, which was all symmetrical rows. The first row goes down and they just keep marching in line. Whereas the Indians were fighting guerrilla style, hiding behind trees. And the French were caught off guard, stuck in their own ways, and their troops were being slaughtered for it. Well, that's the U.S. in 2024. We're way behind the eight ball in what the new kind of asymmetrical warfare actually is. And we're big, like big, mighty sitting ducks at this point. And the Yemenis are expert at this kind of warfare. Uh, they have been uh, mastering it ever since they, they went up against their much richer and more powerful neighbors, including the Saudis, and more than held their own. Uh, well, what's really interesting about this is despite the propaganda, remember that it isn't just the Western media that's been massively propagandizing against the Yemenis Houthis, but even here in the Arab world, the big money doesn't particularly like the Houthis, the Saudi media, the Gulf Emirati funded media, which means most of the Arab media, which you know, so much of it is funded by that Gulf oil money. They're all anti-Houthi or they were not anymore. The whole region loves the Houthis. Now, now say something bad about the Houthis at your peril in this region. Uh, and even the Financial Times has to admit it. So that's uh, that's kind of promising, isn't it, Kat? Yeah, who knew the Houthis would become global superstars in that part of the world? Giving it to the man, power to the people. I love them. They're just such a great success story. I hope they're nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize because they're doing proactive defense. But of course, what we really need the world to uh, pay reparations for what it's done to Yemen and, of course, what it's done to Palestine and, and Iran and a lot of other places, not to mention Iraq, uh, Syria, uh, Libya. This, this region I'm living in really deserves trillions of dollars in reparations from the U.S. taxpayer. Hear that, U.S. taxpayers who are watching False Flag Weekly News? <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know, I, I hate to tell you that, but you know, you're responsible for this, guys. Uh, so Hezbollah, another 
aspect of the axis of resistance is also enforcing international law against genocide, uh, according to the IGC, IJC decision, or ICJ decision, Hezbollah is now succeeding in taking out Israeli radar sites, and they just filmed themselves doing it recently, and the Israelis are pulling their hair out and freaking out, and they can't imagine how Hezbollah pulled this off, even when Israel's in such a high state of alert. Yeah, I love the quote. How did Hezbollah succeed in achieving a hit during a time when we are at the highest level of alertness? <laughs> Hello, that's the same as October 7th with the Hamas raid. Um, it's amazing. They have all of this high-tech equipment. Um, back in um, 2023, early 2023, um, there was something called Juniper Oak, the largest joint military exercise in history between um, Israel and military, uh, Israel and the U.S. military. Um, and it was being billed as two of the world's most advanced militaries. They were bragging left and right um, about the size, scope, and complexity of these exercises that they did. They had thousands of troops, and they dealt with land, air, sea, space, and cyberspace, demonstrating to the world that they're the most modern military capability. So they were both trying to impress Abraham Accord countries that go with us, you'll get deterrence, and scare the um, likes out of the you know, countries like um, of Iran. But um, net, net, what has been found out behind the scenes is that um, it, for all of their military might, they found loopholes and realize now that they're not going to be able to defeat um, Iran. It's it, 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 All they did was brag and brag about their military might, but what was not spoken about was the degree that um, I, I guess you could call it French and Indian warfare style, these alternative ways. Asymmetrical that, warfare. Um, yeah, the asymmetrical warfare that um, with for all of their big might, they they're, they don't have a clue of how to handle it. And that's what we're seeing now, one year later, after all of these uh, big uh, exercises that they did huffing and puffing. They're, it's nothing now. Yeah, some of these very expensive, fancy high-tech systems like this radar site are vulnerable to relatively cheap drones and rockets. And uh, certainly ships, uh, these huge, expensive dinosaur ships like aircraft carriers are becoming extremely vulnerable to vastly cheaper kinds of missiles. So the world is changing and not so much for the uh, benefit of the empire. Okay, here's the Palestine section. The big Palestine news, of course, is this ongoing genocide. And the genocide has been driven by propaganda Propaganda is about 99.9% .9 lies, and the Israelis are even admitting that they're lying now. Uh, Channel 13 in Israel brought on these people who had invented these disgusting stories about Hamas baking babies in ovens and uh, hanging them from clotheslines. And uh, it's, always a, it's always babies, it seems like, and, and it rapes and babies, basically. And now they're, they're get, going on TV and admitting that they lied. I mean, this reminds me a little bit, Kat, of the dancing Israelis who were set up to film before the World Trade Center was hit and uh, and were arrested after they were wildly celebrating and flicking cigarette lighters in front of the burning and then exploding towers. And they were arrested. Uh, they had thousands of dollars of cash stuffed in their socks. They worked for Urban Moving Systems, were owned by Do Dominic Souter, a known Israeli operative, who's supposedly back in the States now. And then they went on television in Israel and confessed that they had been sent there to document the event. 
In other words, they confessed that they were sent, presumably by Israeli intelligence, uh, to document 9/11, which Israeli intelligence knew was going to happen because presumably they made it happen. So that's all that was all confessed on Israeli television. And now these guys are on Israeli TV confessing that they just made up these stories about atrocities that then Joe B Biden went and repeated, and as a result, uh, tens of thousands of women and children have been murdered. Yeah, well, kind of a bigger issue is what is wrong with the West? Haven't our leaders learned anything from these Israeli lies? Um, and as we're going to see with our next stories on UNRWA um, about the humanitarian aid, there's no shred of evidence in any of them. And yet the West keeps taking at face value Israeli concoctions about Hamas. It, we're, we're just as complicit in the, the whole uh, charade. Absolutely. And so uh, this guy, Mickey Rosenthal, the Israeli police spokesman, admitted that he made up the stories of a fetus cut from a pregnant, pregnant woman, which actually the Israelis did that uh, back in their war with Lebanon a few decades ago. That was at the Sabra and Shatila camps where Ariel Sharon command, commanded these troops, which he, he pretended not to be commanding, that went in and did that uh, as they massacred all of the Palestinians in that refugee camp or the two camps, Sabra and Shatila. So that was an Israeli operation, cutting fetuses from live pregnant women. Uh, and as far as babies baked in ovens and so on, Rosenthal, the Israeli police spokesman, he just made all that stuff up and more because he says the war is not just military or political, it's mainly media. So he's admitting that he's propagandizing for genocide. Here, here are the shots of him talking about cutting open pregnant women, which Israelis do, by the way, uh, and, uh, and then admitting that it never happened. So uh, that's, I mean, this guy belongs in the world court, obviously. And so uh, if, if, if you believed them when they started talking about these atrocities against babies and women and pregnant women, you probably believe them again now when they claim that the UN uh, Refugee Agency is working with Hamas. And this Wall Street Journal article that broke that story was authored by Harry Keller Lynn, who was an Israeli Defense Forces veteran. They don't tell you that at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, that's not exactly full disclosure, is it, Kat? No, not at all. And, and we, most people don't even know that the whole media is owned by uh, uh, Zayos, uh, um, Israeli firsters. Um, so <laughs> the entire mainstream media is occupied. We're as occupied as Gaza, just in a different way. Absolutely. And so here, here's a, a, a tweet uh, pointing out that this uh, lead author, Carrie Keller Lynn, uh, is an Israeli operative. Uh, and so she's publishing front page stories, supposedly as investigative stories at the Wall Street Journal on behalf of the Israeli PSYOPs division of, of the Mossad or whoever she works for. Uh, and Americans are none the wiser for the most part. And so that story, that completely bogus story, uh, probably with as much truth to it as the beheaded babies, led to a number of countries, the US and Canada first, and then Finland, Australia, Britain, and Italy, uh, withdrawing from supporting this agency that basically provides food or what little food is getting into Palestine now. So now these countries are complicit in the Israelis uh, deliberately starving the two million people of Gaza. Yeah, out of uh, 1,200 Gaza um, UNRWA employees to cut funding because supposedly there are 12 bad apples is just pure Israeli collective punishment. And it just shows how mean-spirited the um, Israelis can be. And, and also just so third grade. I mean, the very day Israel lost before the International Court of Justice's ruling on genocide, Israel demanded uh, the UNRWA get defunded. 
And then on Thursday, like an unhinged maniac, Israel bombed a Belgian agency in Gaza right after the agency refused to cut UNRWA funding. I mean, they're just so transparent. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like playing the bad guy in the professional wrestling spectacle. And yet somehow the world hasn't yet figured out they should be cheering for the other side. I guess the world is a little slow. Uh, well, uh, over in Nor Norway, Labor MP Asmund Alkrist has nominated uh, UNRWA for the Nobel Peace Prize. So the thing is, these these PR moves, these which I, I think are quite clumsy, really, many of them uh, do often create blowback. And this uh, genocide they're committing in Gaza is the ultimate uh, PR mistake that's going to create the biggest blowback that very likely will end the state of Israel at some point. Well, it's just bizarre how uh, the world, basically, the International Court of Justice, specifically ruled that Israel has to cooperate with humanitarian aid. And Israel just turns right around that very day and defies IJC and all the rest of us in the world by giving one big FU finger to everybody. And that's exactly what they do everywhere else. The US president, for example, is not allowed to wage war without getting congressional approval. But um, the the um, Zio controlled um, uh, Congress doesn't even care. Um, the 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 Israelis are just um, doing one big fu to everybody, and they're brazen about it because they don't care what anybody thinks. Even in Israel, eighty percent of the Israelis are supporting the genocide. I mean, virtually the entire world are saying you are wrong and any other human would take it on the chin, suck it up and learn from it. But no, the Israelis are doubling down, going for broke because these people don't have a humble, compassionate bone in their body for anyone but themselves. It's a Talmudic thing. Is it chutzpah or is it psychopathy or some combination thereof? I don't know. Uh, how you wanted to talk extensively about this article, didn't you, Kat? Was this the one that you wanted to get into details about the tragic self-destruction of an enraged Israel? Yes, I do. Um, it, it's interesting that um, Alistair Crook used um, these narratives and myth to explain this competitive rate relationship, he says, between Hebraic and Islamic cultures, which basically means this conflict between Jews and Muslims that's going to destroy the social order, and that one or the other is going to experience what he called some form of inevitable tragedy. Well, I believe Zionism will be the tragedy and that Jews all over the world are going to suffer as well. But he talked about um, Jewish superintendency over U.S. and Europe. Well, that's just another way to say U.S. and Europe are zogged, Zionist-occupied governments. Um, but let's be clear. Um, the United States is a Gentile nation. We are 98% comprised of white people, Black people, Hispanics, Natives, and many others. And yet non-Gentiles, Jews, who are only 2% of our population, own, control, or influence the major institutions that matter in our countries, in the West countries, banks, media, Hollywood, education, the arts, technology, big pharma, big business, BlackRock, Congress, and so much more. And in the administrative, in administration, the attorney general, the secretary of state, the secretary of treasury, head of homeland security, the director of CDC, all are Jews. And there are more at lower levels. They have enough so, to make a minion as the uh, uh, Jewish Daily Forward sort of bragged. Exactly. 
And but this distinction between Jews and Gentiles is not one of Gentile making. Jews perceive non-Jews this way. Their worldview is a kind of a covert categorization that absolutely exists. And they've created this dichotomy between Jews and everyone else, but we can't see it. And so, as I said before about Zelensky, who has no problem sending Ukrainian Slavs into the meat grinder because they are not his people. And we'll, we'll be talking about Zelensky's debacle in, in, in a moment. I mean, he's he and his uh, top general. But well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> right. But I'm making yeah. a comparison that he doesn't care because he's not a Slav. He's a Jew. He doesn't care about the Ukrainian people. His loyalty is to Jews abroad. So similarly, as a Zogd nation, the Jews in power, I've outlined the power um, previously, the Jews in power in the U.S. do not care about the 98% of us who are Gentiles. We are not their people. So the U.S. Jews are a fifth column who only care about Jews worldwide, especially Israelis. What other Americans are allowed to fight in foreign wars the way American Jews can fight for Israel? That should be treason. No, let, so let, let me quickly they, push back to the, the, what uh, many uh, sort of liberal Jews would say is, hey, Jews were in the forefront of the civil rights movement, uh, helping you know push for equality for black Americans. So you can't say that Jews only care about Jews because at that point there were some Jews who cared about blacks. And then during the, the Vietnam anti-war protests, Jews were disproportionately represented in those protests, even though they were not uh, very represented in the military. So they didn't want the sons and daughters of Gentiles to be sent to Vietnam to die, and they didn't want the Vietnamese to die. So there are some Jews who actually do care about people other than Jews, aren't there? Um, yes, there are. But as Gilad calls them, they're um, anti-Zionist Zionist because they really care about their own people and how are they going to best take care of their own people. Now, obviously, this is not 100%, just as not 100% of um, uh, Gentiles support the Gentiles that are calling all the shots. But there is something very bad that they have set, they have set up that our country is... Um, and, and the world really is Gentiles and non-Gentiles. And if we view our country in the light of how they see it as we are as Gentiles, we make up 90%, 98% of the country and they are only 2%. And so as 2%, um, what they have to do is get Gentiles to carry out their agenda through bribery, extortion, Epstein stuff. So they control Gentile puppets. But the time is now for Israel is going down now. And Alistair Cook talks about an inevitable strategy, tragedy and um, not just Israel, but I think the time is now for U.S. Jews to likewise face an inevitable strategy. And it's time for Americans to become aware that non-Gentiles are controlling us and they have a completely different point of view about their power and they need to be re removed from the positions of corrupt power that they wield over us um, to the point of destroying our country. And Jews of consciousness would be wise to join in this and understand this dichotomy that Jews themselves have created up. We are a 98% Gentile nation, but um, it, it sounds, like, it sounds like you're, you're ready for uh, like to revise the Occupy movements 99% versus 1% to the 98% versus the 2%.
that sounds good, but part of the problem of being zogged is that it, it, it occludes the reality of being zogged. We have to wake up to who's running us too. So as Israel goes down, we can, this is our time also to kick out all of those uh, Zios that are running our government, if not our country. Okay, well, I, I would take a slightly different view and say, you know, I, I still don't particularly care for tribalism of any kind. So uh, to me, I would say, you know, I'd like to see detribalization across the board, maybe starting with with Jews who are kind of the ultimate tribe that's been, you know, kept it going for 2,500 years by not getting along with their neighbors. But I think we need to detribalize de in other ways, too. But that's a, that's a long story. And we have a lot of stories to cover here. Uh, this piece by Mike Whitney over at the UNS Review on Israel starvation strategy was uh, short and punchy. Uh, pointing out, I mean, you know, there's never been such a clear-cut case of genocide unfolding in front of the eyes of the world. It's just mind-boggling. Well, uh, basically, the Zios are staging another Holodormo, which was the Ukrainian famine um, from the 1930s. It was a genocide of famine, and they're doing the same playbook. Uh, I was listening to Ramzi uh, Baroud, who uh, reported that people in uh, Gaza are being reduced to eating dogs and cats. Um, I, I liked what John Mearsheimer said elsewhere, is that it's not just the killing, but that the Israelis are seem to be taking joy in inflicting punishment and cruelty on the Palestinians. So Mike Whitney's theory that uh, a, a Nakba 2.0 could be achievable is wrong. He's saying that eventually they'll they'll become so Israel will so starve them that they'll have to go to other countries. Um, but as Egypt has proven, no country wants to collude in a Nakba 2.0. Plus, the Palestinians just won't leave their homeland. Give me liberty or give me death. And, and, and keep in mind, uh, this is this is actually something, Kat, that I talked about a little bit with uh, Tony Hall on last night's radio show. And uh, what I didn't get to say to Tony, who, who was also fearful that this Nakba 2.0 strategy could actually succeed, is that even if you somehow manage to have some means of transportation to start trying to get people out of Gaza, uh, the to the extent anybody left, it would be the less hardcore elements that would leave, and the more hardcore elements, and which is and probably the majority of the population would stay. So it wouldn't really do the Israelis any good at all. Uh, which really makes you wonder what they're up to and whether they really think they can just kill everybody. Um, it's kind of just mind-boggling that it's gone this far. And it's good to see there are people pushing back really intensely, like you did this week, Kat, with riding shotgun for Palestine. There you are, Kat McGuire with a Palestine T-shirt in front of a Palestine truck uh, working with if, ifamericansnew.org. Uh, Allison Weir is the great founder of that wonderful organization. So tell us about it, Kat. Um, well, it was a great experience because, um, um, as I wrote, um, um, New York is one of the, um, it is the, uh, has the largest population of Jews in the world, um, about three times more than Jerusalem does, um, 1.6 million Jews here. And so I really thought it was going to be pretty hostile territory. Yeah, here's Columbia but, University, um, right? Is that, is that, uh, no, that's oh, Washington Square oh, well, Park. Oh, Washington Square is, Park, sorry. Yeah. NYU territory. NYU. Um, so we did, a university. We, yeah, we drove all around the city and we got uh, a lot of uh, thumbs up. 
Um, and not as many thumbs down as I was expecting, but um, it was very successful. And I'm I'm so glad that Allison called on me to do it and read my article. It's got some it's interesting little points. Yeah, C congratulations on this uh, really wonderful <laughs> adventure. And and honestly, though, I, I think that the fact that you didn't get as many thumbs down as you expected might indicate that so, uh, among this heavily Jewish population of New York, there are a lot of people from Jewish backgrounds that are really not happy about this. I mean, I, I think so. So this notion that Jews only care about Jews. Yeah, there's a tribal core. You know, there's Uncle Mortimer who, you know, picks up the New York Times and his only reaction to every article is, is it good for the Jews? You know, we could actually do, bring him on as a false flight news commentator. You're really easy to or you could just bring on a, a, a ventriloquist dummy and have Uncle Mortimer saying, is it good for the Jews on every story in false flight weekly news? So there are people like that. But I don't think everybody in New York is like that. Uh, you know, yeah, sure, Bush, you know, most Jews are brainwashed to some extent, but a lot of them are not that much more brainwashed than anybody else. So anyway, it was great well, that you took this to the streets of New York and, and got a reasonably good reaction. Well, thanks, Kevin. Um, but as you um, so brilliantly wrote um, an article on, uh, we have never seen a more clear-cut case of good and evil. Um, Anybody who has at all a, a heart can't help but see that this genocide is evil in the extreme. It's just, it's so hard to believe that um, the Israeli propagandists think that they can sell it as something other than what it it is. And so some people still have their head turned on straight and um, and Jews as well, and have the heart to know that you can't you can't gaslight a genocide. Um, this goes straight to the human heart. And of course, there are many Jews who understand that and are opposed. And, and I love this uh, particular image, Kat, of the Malcolm X quote in front of the towers. Uh, if you're not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. And uh, that's, a, that's a good one to put up next to the Larry Silverstein's towers. All right, well, that was a, an inspiring tour of New York. Um, and now let's ask that question. Why do they hate us? Remember on 9-11, we uh, got this, oh, why do they hate us? Why do they hate us? <laughs> well, who hates us? First, it was the uh, the, the neocon Zionists that did 9-11. Why do they hate us? No, the, <laughs> why, why, do they hate, why do they hate the Zionists? Why do people hate the Zionists? I can't imagine, uh, because maybe they do things like spraying people with skunk spray if they don't like their politics. That's what happened, apparently, at Columbia University. Uh, they got that skunk spray that the Zionists love to spray on Palestinians. This is a, from a, sh a shot of the, the skunk sprayer spraying the Palestinians. It looks like it's spraying me. If you, if you look at my image there up in the right-hand corner, uh, <laughs> they're spraying me with skunk spray. I bet that some of them would like to. Probably the, the ADL guy who's assigned to watch this show would like to uh, to spray me. Um, so here, here's the ADL guy uh, trying to spray me, but um, apparently failing. All he's doing is stinking up his own uh, his own pants. So anyway, <laughs> but but seriously, folks, uh, this is this is crazy. The Israelis are coming over here and, and skunk spraying American protesters uh, the way they spray Palestinians, and they wonder why do they hate us? I can't imagine. Yeah, well, it's hard to convey the smell, but it's very horrific. I haven't spelled it, but it's supposedly a combination of sewage and rotting corpses is what it smells like. It induces intense 
nausea, nausea, vomiting, and violent gagging. And it takes forever to go away. Ten of the protesters had to be hospitalized. It was just, it, it just seeps in and you can't get rid of it. Can you imagine your whole house? At least you can throw your clothes away. But what do you do with your home when they're spraying it at you? Just what kind of people would even think of such an inhumane weapon? Well, it's not as inhumane as what they've done to Gaza now, which is they've destroyed most of the entire, you know, all of the housing stock and made everybody uh, homeless refugees in the middle of winter with no food, no water, no medical care, and then bombed the daylights out of them and injured many tens of thousands. So, yeah, why, why do many young Americans hate Israel? We just can't imagine. This was what the Times of Israel, I think, asking that question. Um, these people just don't have very much insight, do they? Well, the article uh, says Gen Z hates America or hates Israel because of their ignorance of the history and facts of the conflicts, and not necessarily because of Netanyahu. But that's wrong. It's it's the age of the internet. People are well informed, and while I can agree that young people are idealistic and can be influenced. Um, part of the problem is that Gen Zers have been deeply inculcated with woke politics where people of color are put on a pedestal. Palestinians are people of color. Therefore, there's an almost knee-jerk alliance. And what's ironic is that Jews conceived and pushed these woke politics and they want their minions to see Hamas as the anti-Semitic enemy. But Jews have been hoisted on their own petard because in the victimhood hierarchy, at least in this instance, uh, people of color um, overrule anti-Semitism. But even more than that, um, it, it, this a genocide is just a whole different ball game that breaks through the mental programming. So as we were talking earlier, not even Jews, the world's experts in advertising and psyops can gaslight a genocide. It's a hard sell. And all people, Jewish people included, their minds have been taken over, uh, young people, Jewish people who uh, have this woke mentality, but they still have a heart. And I see a lot of people saying, huh, Jews are lying about this genocide. Might they be lying about the Holocaust? So I say, wait until people find out that the Holocaust narrative makes the genocide uh, Gaza propaganda look like little white lies. Yeah, I've, I have been calling some attention to that in some of my writing, and Ron Unz has too. Uh, I, I do think that the whole business of the Gen Z being overly friendly to people of color, I think that's, you know, that has a good side, it, uh, more of a good side in some ways than a bad side. We're seeing the good side now because they see the humanity of Palestinians when nobody else does. Uh, so that's actually not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a matter of judiciously figuring out, you know, when it makes sense to think in those terms and when it doesn't. Uh, you know, we had that Malcolm X image here. Uh, and, and I think Malcolm was pretty much right on about everything, you know, once he woke up and, and figured out that, you know, what was really going on uh, and became a universal uh, Muslim activist and sided with the global South, that is the people of color. Uh, so I don't think there's anything wrong with Gen Z siding with the people of color uh, in most cases, but they may, you know, they, they may make mistakes by being for too much open borders when in fact that's harming the overall society, especially the working people. We will be talking about that. So let's move through the show so we can get to topics like that. Uh, we're on Russia news. The big story, the only war on Russia story for us this week is that there's a big fight between Zelensky, who, as you mentioned, Kat, is a creature of the Jewish oligarchs and a Jewish oligarch himself, and his top general, Valery Zeluzhny, who I don't believe is. And Zeluzhny actually cares about ordinary Ukrainians. And so he's been balking at continuing to feed them into the meat grinder for no particular purpose. He says, just like in World War I, 
we've reached a level of technological stalemate. And so he's, he's ready to call it a draw. And of course, uh, that you know, to save ordinary Ukrainians' lives. Zelensky isn't. And so that just supports your hypothesis, Kat, that maybe Zelensky's loyalty isn't really to the Ukrainian ordinary people. Right. Zelensky, like Netanyahu, won't admit defeat and is demanding to keep the meat grinder going like some Hail Mary pass is going to save the day. Um, I happened to listen to a, a, an interview just this morning um, with uh, uh, Zaluzny, and he was saying that it's at um, draconian levels if you want to win this war, that we have to face up to reality, because if you want to do it, he's saying that the entire population from 18 years old beyond needs to be called up. And that's how we would win, which is obviously uh, pretty absurd. But They're going to be marching 78-year-old grannies into the front lines and putting them in the trenches. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Oh, so he's saying, you know, unless you bring that many out, it's uh, at this draconian level, we're not going to win. And that's why Zelensky wants to get rid of him, because uh, he can't admit defeat. Oh, man. Yeah, it's hard, hard to believe that you know, Zelensky was elected on a peace with Russia platform. So, you know, what happened? Uh, anyway, uh, BRICS news this week. Five more countries, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia and the UAE are joining BRICS. And interestingly, you know, you wouldn't have really thought that Egypt, Iran, Saudi Arabia and the Emirates would all get along that well. But guess what? They're all cheering for the Houthis now, even the Saudis and the Emiratis. So they're all on the same page as they come into BRICS. Well, actually, um, it's come out just recently that the Saudis now apparently have not signed and they're still thinking about coming on because ah. what has actu um, also actually come out is that the Saudis and Jordan are helping Israel do a land bypass of the Houthi blockade. I mean, how traitorous of them. Oh, and man. if you want to join Bridge, one of the... Pardon? Yeah, Muhammad bin Shaitan uh, is uh, one of his nicknames. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> okay. Um, well, if you want to join BRICS, one of um, BRICS's hallmarks of um, is that they want peace. That you have to make alliances. That's what um, um, she did with um, Iran and the Saudis. Demanded that they have an alliance. But these slimy Saudis are doing a financial calculus. Which is more lucrative? To be in bed with Israel in the West or with Russia, China, Global South, and the new multipolar world order? So, which is, well, is you know, if, if they, they're sort of you know playing everybody off against each other to get the best deal, I mean. A certain amount of that is understandable. Uh, so if it if it turns out that that's what's going on, and ultimately the Saudis do go their own independent way, get out of the U.S. orbit, and contribute to the emergence of a multipolar world, and do something to defend Palestine for once in their lives, I will uh, I will forgive them, and I will take back uh, what I said about uh, the clown, I mean, crown prince. <clears throat> Well, the fact that they're going through land and bypassing the the sea routes because the Saudis will get them, they're they're helping um, uh, smuggle Israel's uh, supplies through uh, Jordan and through uh, Saudi Arabia. So how can that be of any help? And I just think they're stupid because everyone and their brother wants in on the BRIC trade alliances now because the West is falling apart. It's going down, kicking and screaming like except a Argentina maniac. They've got that crazy well, yeah, libertarian so, in Argentina, but 
I've ever met. Right. Yeah. Uh, poor Argentina. They just elected um, a, a super fifth columnist, sio friendly fifth columnist who, who Argentina had actually gotten in. Um, they were elected in in Johannesburg uh, last year. And now um, at a time when every country in the world wants in, um, Mele, who is their fifth columnist, new leader, Zio friendly, has withdrawn Argentina from BRICS membership. So well, he, he loves the Zionists so much. I understand that maybe Israel will have to be moved to Patagonia. Have you heard about those <laughs> pro, uh, proposals? There, there have been a lot of Israelis uh, uh, running all over Patagonia, which is incredibly resource rich and beautiful and, and nice climate and, and great scenery and all that kind of stuff. And so there are rumors uh, about Israel uh, possibly moving there someday. Well, it's Argentina is one of the largest populations of Jews outside of um, Israel, and they have long been in Argentina. Um, I think it also was one of the countries that they were even thinking about um, having uh, instead of Palestine, sending them to Argentina. They're, well, they're I, I, think, I think they should move. To, I, they should go there tomorrow. Uh, that would solve uh, a lot of problems in this region. Uh, so here, here's a, a really good piece by Pepe Escobar uh, quoting this Dizen guy. I hadn't heard of him before. He's apparently a Norwegian professor, and he has written a book. He's, he's one of these Western dissident intellectuals who are mainstream and yet saying the kinds of things that we say and that Pepe says, uh, Emmanuel Todd being another. Pepe also reviewed Emmanuel Todd's recent book. Uh, so I'm kind of a fan of Emmanuel Todd. I read his Charlie Hebdo book, which didn't go as far as mine, but was, was not too bad. Uh, so the answer to this question, uh, will they accept that that new Westphalian world order, meaning independent nation states, not a, a unipolar hegemon um, pursuing their own policies, not neoliberalism? That's uh, that's a good question. But what's the alternative? I guess World War Three. Uh, well, not necessarily. Um, it's interesting that the author says that the key to Western power um, is constant divide and rule. And the West is trying to prevent the emergence of a competitor hegemon from dominating Europe and Eurasia. Um, I appreciate the author showing that Russian Eurasians as far back as 1920s were focused on peace, partnership, and mutual cooperation, which is what the multipolar world wants. And I also appreciate that he talked about China, um, that it's steeped in Confucianism. So China has in their DNA social integration, stability, harmonious relationships, a respect for tradition. So this Russia-China Global South alliance is not anti-hegemony or excuse me is they're anti-hegemony they're not anti-western we're perceiving it as oh competition anti-west no they're anti-hegemony um but um Ziocons have hijacked the western centers of power and they can't grok that there's this new power with a different world view that's coming to fore and so What's happening is the world is very much at a do or die state of chaos and mayhem. Um, are the Zios going to force us all into their Talmudic nuclear Samson option where we have to have them be the unipolar leaders of the world? Or is this budding multipolar world going to be able to thwart the, the Jewish dominated unipolar world that's long reigned and implement their long sought alternative plans for world peace and prosperity. That's the question. And, and hopefully um, if, if it, to me, it's looking like Israel and the U S are going down, they, they just, they're not going to be able to stand up to because behind Iran is Russia and behind Russia is China. 
So this new, kinder, gentler world order is coming to fore, and uh, the Jews are just going down. The the the, the Zios Jews are going down, uh, kicking and screaming. But it's changing, and and everybody's doing all they can to make sure that they that these unhinged Ziocons don't do the Samson option and unleash the, um, their their nukes. Okay, well, let's uh, move to the turmoil within the Western hegemon, which is contributing to that world order shift. The tractors and trucks were hard at work protesting this week. The farmer protests are spreading like proverbial wildfire across Europe, says Sputnik. Uh, and here are some slides. This was, we had have a couple of good protest slideshows this week. We had your slideshow, Kat, of the New York If Americans New protest. And so here are the European trucker and tractor protests. They're protesting red tape, high fuel costs, unfair competition from the neoliberal trade policies. Uh, Frankfurt, Germany, here are the tractors crossing the freeway. Um, actually, they did use the bridge. If they wanted to cause more trouble, they could have just ignored the bridge and gone straight across. And then here's uh, Italy, uh, farmers uh, at a highway junction. They're here, I think they are blocking the highway. And uh, some of them are wearing a yellow vest, apparently, in front of the European Parliament in Brussels with a house skeleton symbolizing the destruction of agriculture. Uh, here's a tractor dumping manure uh, to protest uh, the uh, anti-produce growing policies. And uh, I think that's not nearly as much manure as the politicians are dumping every day, but it's still a start. And then finally, uh, Brandenburg Gate in Berlin uh, was pretty crowded with uh, with trucks. So that's, that's a, a pretty cool... Uh, protest, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Um, and to have a slap in the face from the tone-deaf um, EU bureaucracy that is giving Ukraine $54 billion and just totally eviscerating their own local people. Well, it's not them. They're Zio-occupied, so what can you say? But yeah, Europeans are staging real protests, unlike uh, the Americans, which is our next story. Yeah, well, uh, here's a, here's an Andrew Anglin piece on the God's Boomer Army, he calls it, uh, going on the border convoy to Texas to support Abbott's pushback against the feds. The feds want to take down all the barbed wire at the border, and Abbott thinks Texas should be allowed to put up barbed wire at that same border. Um, so, Kat, uh, what, what's your take on these festivities? Well, Anglin is saying that um, this is totally... Uh, planned and performed by intelligence agents, just like um, intelligence agents, just like Charlottesville, the kidnapping of Governor Whitmer, and the January 6th so-called insurrection. I agree with him that those were FBI orchestrated, and I also agree with him. Uh-oh, uh -oh. I'm sorry. It looks like we, we almost accidentally got into our music video of the week early. So continue, uh -oh. Kat. I'm sorry. I, I, my screen just went down, okay. so I'm fixing it. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I also agree with um, Anglin that um, this border trucker thing is a fake event, as he said, quote, a fake event performed on the world stage using real dupes. It's like color revolutions. They start off organic with actual activists and causes, and then those causes get hijacked and co-opted. Um, I have been an activist in the medical freedom community here in New York, and I've actually been involved in investigating infiltration because we were infiltrated. And I've also been involved with the U.S. truckers convoy in understanding those infiltrations as well. 
So based on my sources, this border protest does not appear to be a valid grassroots event. Now, obviously, a lot of sincere people are going to participate, but many of the same bad actors that I've seen in the past are involved in the behind the scenes organizing of this event, too. So and you never know when they're going to decide to turn any of these fake events into another January 6th. Have you ever written anything about who you think are the bad actors? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I have a, there's a site, um, um, Commission for um, Safeguarding uh, Freedom. And um, actually there's, uh, we've written a lot of stuff and in the medical community has been among Dr. McCullough, Dr. Malone has um, um, republished um, some of the things we wrote about the infiltrators. There's a woman named Carolina Bonita who is very involved with this. And she's one of the key um, infiltrator people. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And of course, that's not the official viewpoint of False Flag Weekly News. That is simply uh, Kat McGuire, our commentator's personal viewpoint. Uh, and he, so here's the uh, leaflets that these people are putting out. It did look like the publicity that they generated around this was not particularly uh, smashing, but you know, of course it wouldn't be even if it was authentic. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I have no idea uh, whether or not this is heavily infiltrated and steered in an unproductive direction. But anyway, since Andrew Anglin uh, wrote this and we uh, you know, don't always get to mention him on this show, I thought we should do a little tribute. So our music video of the week this week is going to be a uh, brief tribute to, uh, to Andrew Anglin. Some people think oh, he God. might, you know, be like actually kind of useful for the other side. I, I see this sort of a symbiotic thing where the ADL loves to beat up on him. And then he did pretty well beating up on the ADL until they uh, they sued him and went lawfare on him. We're going to talk about lawfare a little bit regarding Trump. Anyway, uh, another guy that we should do a tribute to, maybe not such a backhanded tribute. Ramin uh, Mazahari wrote a good piece on this mass immigration issue. We we're talking about the trucker uh, convoy to shut down the border in the context of the Abbott versus Feds border controversy. Uh, and I thought this was an interesting piece. Uh, Ramin Mazahari talked about his his Uzbek taxi driver uh, <laughs> who somehow arrived a few months before uh, across the Mexican border and is now driving an Uzbek taxi in Chicago. Uh, so I don't know. I I, I kind of like Ramin's work. I mean, he's a socialist. He's has a lot of sympathy for the people invading across the border. 
Uh, and he makes some good points about how that invasion is not necessarily so good for working people, but he's totally on the side of the working people. It's the classic left-wing position. Yeah, I think um, it's um, it doesn't really see the big picture. I can agree with him that low wages from mass migration matter more to capitalists than the Democratic votes that they get. So, yeah, that's true. But I disagree with his root problem that it's imperialist meddling in Latin America. Now, he cherry picked an example of a good migrant, the Uzbeki um, Uber driver, but um, just picking him gives lives to gives lie to two facts. One is that um, supposedly these migrants will be as hardworking strivers as the Uzbeki and as uh, migrants in the past. Well, they're being inundated with free benefits and lots of money and I don't necessarily see them as uh, hardworking. This is a whole different class of migrants coming in, military-aged men who they have a whole different agenda for. And the other thing is, is um, he's saying that the migrants are all coming from Latin American meddling. Well, of course, there is a lot of that. But these migrants are coming from all over the world, from over 150 plus countries, not just Latin America. I was just on a flight last November from El Salvador to Nicaragua, and almost every gate was teeming with Africans. My flight, my plane was over four fifths full of Africans who were all headed to the U.S. border by land the minute they landed in Nicaragua. I have other things to tell about that, but that's a different story. But it was anyway, a radio besides, show on that. Sounds like a, an interesting story. Yeah. yeah, well, I traveled for a month in Central America. I really have a lot of different points that I could talk about in a whole show. But anyway, yeah, yeah. back Let's to this that. issue, um, this uh that um, I, I don't think he's seeing the big picture. He's looking at these so social economic reasons for mass migration, but he's completely ignoring, if not deriding, the political analysis of the Great Replacement, which is ultimately a Jewish planned and financed strategy to edge out ethnic European peoples because we most are the ones who most threaten the Jews' 3,000-year project for control of the world's people and resources. And but, but Ted, I, I looked that up on Snopes, and they said it was a conspiracy theory. <laughs> oh, Snopes. Okay. Oh, I believe you now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really have to wake up like what I was trying to say. We're a 98% Gentile country. And if we can't ID the bottom line masterminds of these inhumane manipulations of humanity, how are we going to defend our land and people, if not take these historically troublemaking fifth column Jews out? Hmm. Okay. Uh, see, I, I actually would lean towards the theory that the vast majority of these migrants really are economic migrants. Like here in Morocco, where, where we live, uh, here in Saidia, Morocco, a wonderful Mediterranean beach town that's a little more expensive than the average Moroccan town. So like every summer it gets totally inundated with tourists. And most of those tourists are Moroccans who have gone elsewhere, mostly European countries. Uh, and, and then they're back for uh, partying in the summer. And then some of them move back permanently. And they're, why do they go somewhere else? Why do they go to America? Why do they go to Europe? One reason pretty much and one reason only, and that is to make money. Because here in Morocco, you're lucky if you can make five bucks an hour doing manual work where you could make 25 or 30 easily, uh, you know, plus benefits and stuff in the richer countries. And so you go and you work your butt off. You live, you know, five, 10 to a room and you work like crazy, uh, 80 hours, 100 hours a week. You save up that money and now you're really set when you come back to Morocco, whether it's for the summer vacation or for your retirement. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's that vastly higher wage that attracts people to the U.S. and to Europe.
but but you're framing it and looking at it um wrong uh, in my opinion because you're looking at it from the point of view of the migrants of course they're going to do you know you give them uh, free debit cards um, in new york now um every migrant's going to get a thousand dollar debit card that just keeps reapplying every month so of course they're going to do that for them yeah okay it's economic but the big picture is who is really orchestrating what is the master game plan of this well, and it's big corporations get cheap labor that's what Ramin no, says. No, that's 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 a side benefit. Chump change for the corporations. What's really happening is that the people who would most call out why we're zogged and who is tearing out the copper wiring of our country, putting us in wars, driving inflation, all of that is zogged run. All of these people coming in are going to wipe out our the democratic vo voice and they're going to um, take away more and more of our power as as the people who would most counter those in control, the Zogged nation, um, are becoming less and less um, a majority. And as we become a minority, this country's going to shift and guess who's controlling it. And once they're in control, they don't care about the migrants. The migrants are going to be kicked to the curb. It, this is just a tool and the migrants are useful idiots on some level. Okay, well, well, people can read Ramin's piece, uh, check and listen, listen to Cat, make up their own minds. I think it's maybe I, I would be somewhere maybe in the middle on that one. Okay, how about the lawfare stories? Eighty-three million—that's quite a terse headline, isn't it? Uh, Eighty-three million for an alleged sexual assault. She can't remember what year it happened, and they had to change the law to put in a new statute of remove the statute of limitations to get that lawsuit through, and. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it really does sort of make you sympathize with the pro-Trump people who say, oh, they'll do anything to stop Trump. Uh, yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Well, this lawsuit is taking place in the highly corrupt Southern District Court of New York. And they're, they're using this lawfare, which is the equivalent of dropping an atom bomb on a neighborhood you're trying to ethnically cleanse. So they, they, they're just taking lawfare as the biggest stick that they possibly can. And this case is thick as thieves with mean-spirited, unethical people playing dirty pool. And the majority of them, I'm sorry to say, are Jewish. Like, it's not very well known, but E. Jean Carroll, that extremely loathsome lying victim, she's Jewish. And, of course, the judge, Judge Kaplan, is a Jew who has issued all manner of shady decisions. Um, his um, He was a mentor to uh, the um, Carroll's lead lawyer. So, so um, do you Carol's think that's what Trump lawyer? meant when he when he said that she's not my type? Like, maybe he he, he likes yeah. uh, he likes goys. Uh, I, Just I like Portnoy does. That. For that matter. But I mean, this Judge Kaplan, um, he mentored her lead lawyer. Her lead lawyer's Jewish, and Judge Kaplan mentored her and didn't even mention that gross conflict of interest. But let me just move on. Yeah, yeah this case is completely presided, insane. Is, I, I agree. Well, it, here's some of the shady stuff he's presiding over. Kaplan presided over the criminal case against Sam Bakeman Freed, who has gotten a number of undeserved breaks. Uh, he was the judge in a Jeffrey Epstein case involving Prince Andrew that got suspiciously uh, went to settlement. Um, in the first civil Guantanamo trial, Judge Kaplan Kaplan sentenced a supposed Al-Qaeda member to life in prison, and more than 200 lawyers filed a judicial complaint against Kaplan for abusively targeting Stephen Donziger. I don't know if you know who he is. He was the respected human rights lawyer who helped indigenous, indigenous Ecuadorians win a $9 billion settlement against um, Chevron. So he's just a very mean-spirited, unethical 
Jew. And then the other big Jew that is involved in this is Reed Hoffman. He's a billionaire owner of LinkedIn, and he's financing this lawsuit. Also, he helped finance the lawsuit to change the statute of limitations so that this um, asshole woman could go after Trump. So all of them, it's it's warfare, lawfare, and it's like dropping an atom bomb on a neighborhood that you want to ethnically cleanse. So, so if the, if the kosher Nostra hates Trump so much, why does he appoint his kosher Nostra son-in-law to run American Middle East policy? Because they they fund both sides. They always have. They funded Hitler and they funded um, um, the allies. You think Trump would get they annoyed don't... about this at some point and push back, but uh, I, I don't see it. Um, and, well, he did push back against Christopher Steele uh, of the P-tapes fame, uh, but they just dismissed the lawsuit. It sounds like it was basically procedural, uh, so there was no real finding. But uh, in the UK, I, I had thought that it was pretty easy to prove libel, um, but apparently not if you're Donald Trump. Well, not a single one of those Russiagate accusations have ever been proven, including this one. That guy, Christopher Steele, is a straight up spy. That's what he does. That's his job. So you can't trust a single thing he's saying. So for the judge to use her powers to deny Trump, um, exonerate his reputation was just, and and I think she was Jewish too. And um, just like they've got the- Well, Steele isn't. Steele is a, is, is a oh. wasp. Well, you got to have Those these front-facing, window-dressing wasps like Cheney and Rumsfeld for 9-11. They're only 2% of the population, so they have to get their puppets. And Hil Hillary, too. Hillary's, Hillary is a wasp, right? Yeah, yeah. Right um, yeah. But anyway, back to to this this whole Russiagate stuff, which this is a part of, they've got the Seth Rich case solidly shut off from any journalistic inquiry or legal investigations. And this kind of dirty pool, this judge is going along with as well. But there is a win for Trump because um, just the other day, that guy, Jack Smith, uh, who's not a Jew, 98% um, are not. So when you see so many Jew names and they're only 2%, you got to think. But, but it's wow, reaching the point, Kathy. There's awkward. so many Jew no names that I feel like I have to point out on the rare occasions that somebody is a goy. Right, exactly. Like Joel Stein highly, in Hollywood. Highly, it's disproportionate beyond belief. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in any event, Jack Smith, um, he had this uh, frivolous uh, lawsuit against Trump for election inter uh, interference, which is the in insurrection lawsuit. It was quietly removed from the court calendar and postponed um, indefinitely. So that was supposed to be up for March, but it looks like the case isn't going to trial this year or ever. So that's all to say one less lawsuit to manipulate getting Trump sitting in jail before the 2024 election, which is what they wanted him, him in jail. Yeah, he's, he's not having any luck in court, is he? He's getting these kind of you know terrible decisions uh, wherever he goes. Whatever country he files suit in, maybe maybe he should come over to uh, to go go to Russia and try try the Russian courts. They can't be any worse. <laughs> but wait, wait, Kevin. No, I just said that he got off the hook for the big insurrection, January sixth one. He, he got yeah. off the hook. They're like, okay, we're not going to take that one. And the other one that's coming up in Georgia, that uh, Fanny, what is her name, Fanny Willis or something? Mm -hmm. She's she's been found to be playing all kinds of dirty, sexy pool with uh, the prosecutor. So that one, yeah, I, I like can't keep. Great. Which which judge is in bed with which prosecutor is in bed with which attorney, and it's uh it's all too much for me. Anyway, 
<laughs> J6 news. Okay, big J6 news this week. Uh, this was this was pretty interesting, Kevin. I mean, it really, in some ways, the biggest Achilles heel of the official version of January 6th is this pipe bomb thing. Like, very, very uh, suspicious uh, the way this pipe bomb was planted and just kind of sat there right up until exactly the moment when they needed to report it uh, uh, to make the insurrection look really scary. Uh, and you know, now it, it looks like that story has fallen apart and the insider operatives have been pretty much convicted of doing the whole pipe bomb thing as a psyop. Uh, will this ever get proven? Will we ever actually find out who that person is who planted it? Um, well, that's what they're trying to do. Thank you to uh, Congressman Thomas Massey that this pipe bomb video even got released. There are two main takeaways to this story. One is how the pipe bomb was found and reported. And the second is the cover-up role of Kamala Harris. So um, in the, the cover-up of um, how it was released, a man is seen on camera walking up to SUVs and talking to the D.C. Metro Police and the Secret Security, and they just were extremely nonchalant. He clearly told them there's a bomb there. They were even so cavalier as to let children walk past it, so clearly they knew it was harmless. They had gotten a heads up, and yet... Um, and because any report of a pipe bomb is cause for high alarm because a pipe bomb was and still is and on that day was officially treated as a weapon of mass destruction. So why were they told the authorities told and they did absolutely nothing and then the, hit the it dog that didn't bark, just like Bush yes, in the school exactly. on, on September 11th. Yeah. Yes. And then um, the whole thing about Kamala Harris is that um, the pipe bomb was outside the offices of the DNC where Kamala Harris was on January 6th. That's why the Secret Service was there. Yet it was not until a year later that she revealed she was there inside uh, the DNC instead of the Capitol building uh, where the insurrection supposedly take place, where she let on she was all along. So this January 6th is one of the key weaponized narratives that the feds and the Democrats are using um, to go after not just Trump, but all the so-called deplorables. So why are they so hell-bent on keeping this pipe bomb story covered up? There's a whole lot more to this story. But when you consider that the head of FBI's pipe bomb investigation is the same FBI agent who supervised the kidnapping entrapment operation of Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. You got to know that a cover-up is here and you have to keep asking why. And you're right. I think that part of this is all driven by the need to throw the book at those J6 protesters to discourage the others uh, in case there's ever any serious insurrection. It's better to have a fake one and then throw the book at the people you entrapped and scare away everybody else from ever wanting to genuinely rise up and change anything. That's for sure. Now, this, this guy, uh, James Little, uh, got he got his sentence thrown out. Uh, so he was succeeded. And so then the judge just uh, like doubled his, his sentence um, to, again, discourage him. It's just the same way they want to discourage people from protesting uh, rigged elections. They want to discourage people from challenging their ridiculous sentences. 
Right. And this judge, um, um, he he said that there are just shameless attempts to misrepresent and misinterpret January 6th. We'll talk about who's misrepresenting and interpreting, misinterpreting January 6th. It's the judge himself, all of his analysis and opinions for even the other J6 cases. He's given some of the longest sentences. They probably came from him watching TV night after night of the January 6th committee because it's been come, it's come out incredibly. There's a recent PBS documentary that's revealed that the TV airing, airings of the January 6th committee hearings was a publicity stunt to manipulate the American public. What the Democrats had done is they hired the former president of ABC News, three guesses his ethnicity, and this guy um, said, he came right out and said he envisioned the committee hearings as a TV miniseries. So it sounds like the judge, just like half the public, bought that POV of, of PBS hook, line, and sinker. So mm -hmm. legally, what the judge um, decreed is actually a double jeopardy. So hopefully this defendant can sue on those grounds and have some payback against this duplicitous judge. Yeah, well, when I first, uh, I remember actually listening to some of those J6 hearings and it sure did kind of come off like some kind of a soap opera or something. I was listening to the public radio version of it. And so it, it was obvious they had brought in PR help and now that's been proven and we know who they brought in. All right, it's the Miss American Pie section. Bye-bye uh, America. Homelessness is up almost 50% since 2015. And yet we're being told by the establishment that the economy has never been better. What's behind yeah. that contradiction? Well, it's 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 really bad. Um, America's falling to pieces while the government's throwing money at illegal migrants and losing wars. The homelessness rate is the highest level is ever recorded. Layoffs um, in 2023 um, jumped 98%, and there's huge more coming in 2024 from the likes of Google, Microsoft, uh, Levi's, TikTok, eBay, and much of the mainstream hey, so It sounds media. like our, our, our boycotts here, here in the MENA region, we're boycotting all these American brands. It sounds like those are paying off. You know, because of Gaza, well, of course. It, it, let's hope so. And also the mainstream media, you know, if you're not reporting the truth, people aren't going to buy your product. Um, but um, they're saying that the primary reason is that rental costs have soared to unprecedented heights. But there's no mention of the role of Blackstone and BlackRock. Uh, we know what kind of companies those are and because they're buying up all manner of housing um, and then playing brutal landlords, not to mention all the rent moratoriums that were there conniving people. And now those rents are coming due. And not to mention the free money stim checks that played tricks with people's financial reality. And bottom line, 2024 is going to be worse. It's going to be a very brutal year for working people. And of course, that has implications for the upcoming elections and the possible civil disturbances that could erupt around them. Uh, another interesting story here, syphilis is making a comeback in the United States. Uh, you know, I, I actually got to experience Lyme disease, which is a spirochete, which is the same type of organism that causes syphilis, um, thanks to the American Germ Warfare Program, which unleashed Lyme disease. The only intimate contact I needed to catch Lyme disease, of course, was with a tick. Um, anyway, syphilis is back. So what, what does that tell us about American society today, Kat? 
Well, it's just more downhill. Um, they're trying to pin it on um, Native Americans because the highest increase, I guess, came from South Dakota Native American community and uh, New Mexico, which also has a large Native uh, population. But uh, those communities also have very high rates of poverty. But really what um, was kind of buried is that the a 29% increase, which is like one third, comes from men only having sex with other men. And that doesn't even include by men having sex with men. So, uh, you know, where is the, to me, it sounds more like degeneracy. And there was a Brown University doctor who says the increase is coming from what he calls the cisgender heterosexual population. Yeah, right. Blame it on the Indians. It's coming from um, gay homosexuals. Well, Lynn Margulis, who some regard as the greatest biological scientist of the uh, 20th century, said that she thought that AIDS was actually primarily caused by syphilis. Uh, she's a, she was an expert on spirochetes. And uh, she also claimed that she believes that Nietzsche had syphilis and that it uh, kind of is it, what happens with these spirochete organisms is that they uh, curl up into little hard balls and then they're inert. They don't bother you. But if your immune system gets weak or for whatever reason, suddenly they just kind of go off and come back to life. They can uh, go crazy and, and make you go crazy, which is what Lynn thinks happened to Nietzsche. She also thinks that their effect on his brain might've actually enhanced his genius at, at some level. I, I think she talked about this on one of my radio shows. So, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, syphilis can make your hands ugly. I mean, that's that doesn't look like the kind of hand painting that we do here in Morocco for brides. And it's, uh, it's spreading here across the US and the cases are starting to go back up as we see from this graph. And here are the warning signs. Uh, but hey, if you, know, if you do get it, you might end up uh, writing philosophical masterpieces like Nietzsche. Uh, anyway, you gotta always look on the bright side. Every, every, uh, every dark cloud has a silver lining and so on and so forth. Well, let's get to our iconoclasm section as our final section today, I believe. Apparently, uh, you know, just as uh, the great iconoclast of lore, including the, the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, smashed the idols of the uh, satanic uh, pagan sacrificial worshipers, apparently a, uh, a Christian iconoclast is doing the same thing now in America and raising money and starting a political career. It's a guy named Michael Cassidy who beheaded the satanic altar in the Iowa Capitol over the holidays. When I first saw that headline, I said, oh, my goodness, that sounds creepy because, like, I remember I, I was I met Satanists uh, twice in my life. One in one case, they were only suspected. But in the one case, I know that this guy was a Satanist. It was this high school biology lab guy that I, I was paired up with him in biology lab. <laughs> and uh, and he gave me this grotesque description that he'd written of his participation in a satanic ritual. And the altar of that ritual he participated in was a naked woman uh, I won't go into the gory details, but anyway, um, when I heard a, a satanic altar was beheaded, I was thinking the worst. I was disgusted and horrified, but then it turns out that the altar was just uh, Baphomet, and so a, a statue of Baphomet. So our, our Christian holy warrior uh, beheaded the statue of Baphomet, uh, and now they're, the Satanists are calling it a hate crime and calling in the ADL, I mean the ACLU. So, I mean, you can't make this stuff up yet. Yeah, I'm waiting for the Sabbatean Zevi um, uh, satanic cult from the 1600s to resurface as well. I think they already have. There. Who do you think? Who do you think is occupying Palestine? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, uh, twenty thousand. Actually, they've already raised closer to a hundred thousand dollars by now for uh, for vote Cassidy. So uh, I think the beheader of Baphomet has a very bright future ahead of him. All right. Well, I think we've uh, hit the end of our show. I don't. I don't think we want to go any further. Syphilis, Baphomet. I mean, this is this is definitely uh, a good place to stop and leave it until next <laughs> week or next month. Thank you, Cat McGuire. It's always wonderful touching base with you on False Flag Weekly News. Okay. And, uh, thank, thank you to you, our Kevin. listeners and supporters, and see you all next week. Inshallah.